listening to SBS on the Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's a daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Monday, the 23rd of August 2021. Later, we explore the rise of electric vehicles in Australia, but first to Ampol, which rebranded from Caltex earlier in the year. I spoke with its CEO today who said some interesting things about green future and how to reopen the economy. It comes as the company recovered from a loss to post a $326 million half-year profit. It's also laying out $1.9 billion to buy New Zealand Z Energy. Earlier, I spoke with Ampol CEO, Matthew Halliday. Matt, what will an Ampol petrol station look like in 10 years' time? Yeah, look, uh, thanks very much. Uh, uh, look, I think um, our network uh, and the, uh, the distribu- distributed nature of that network is one of our um, uh, most significant assets. Um, it serves people conveniently for, uh, for fuels and convenience today. And I think in 10 years' time, uh, it's going to be distributing different forms of energy uh, as well as an expanded uh, convenience offer. Um, and that's pretty exciting uh, for us as we, uh, as we undergo that, that transformation. So we've announced as part of our future energy and decarbonisation strategy that we'll be rolling out 100 fast charging sites across our network to make our customers uh, feel a bit more comfortable as they look to uh, uh, buy an electric vehicle in the future. So that's one way. What will that future mean for Ampol and how are you walking toward that, I guess, greener future now? Yeah, so we've committed to net zero uh, by 2040 uh, within our own operations by, uh, by, 20, uh, by 2040. Uh, so that's, uh, that's where we're heading. Um, we're investing heavily $100 million by 2025 on, on low emissions energy solutions for our customers. Hydrogen's part of that, biofuels are part of that, um, and electrification's clearly going to play a, a very meaningful role. Um, and that's going to mean charging uh, is required on the forecourt, but it's also going to mean charging at destination and charging at home. And so we're, we're looking to move down the path of providing that, uh, uh, that broader uh, charging offer for our customer, but clearly leveraging the forecourt is going to be very much at the heart of that in the first instance. Apart from your earnings results out today, I think the other key announcement was the uh, acquisition of NZ's um, Z Energy. What's the strategy behind that? Yeah, look, uh, we're at the stage of just moving into exclusive uh, due diligence, but strategically we can see uh, it's a very similar business uh, to Ampol. It's undergoing a transition to a full import market, um, and we've got good experience uh, uh, in that evolution uh, here in Sydney, for example. Uh, and we can leverage our trading and shipping capability that we've built quite successfully uh, in the region over the past uh, six or seven years. So uh, we need to get in and, and do our due diligence, of course, but uh, we can see there's a real case to, uh, to build a trans-Tasman uh, leader of greater scale in the fuels and convenience industry and to go to the questions on energy transition uh, earlier, both both companies have taken some important steps forward, and I think scale is going to be important to accelerate those ambitions. Uh, what are your current volume of sales saying about mobility, given that much of the country is in lockdown? Yeah, so uh, as we commented in our result today, so our, our retail volumes were down 15% against uh, in July this year against last uh, around 18% in August to date. So having the two big cities in lockdown clearly has a, um, a very pronounced impact and it's really important that we, uh, we start to see the, uh, uh, the momentum building in the vaccination program and, uh, and, we find our way, uh, and we find our way out of lockdowns. But that's what we're seeing right at the moment. I mean, much has been said about the, the roadmap out of lockdown. 
How do you think it should happen as we approach that 70% vaccination milestone on both a national and, and state-based approach? Well, my view is uh, I think the, the metrics are very clear and sensible. There's good momentum that we're delivering into, uh, uh, into those metrics. And I really think as soon as a, as soon as a state uh, hits those metrics, we should be opening ourselves up again. Um, now, question mark, and it'll be for each state to, to look at the, uh, the domestic border. But uh, I don't think we should wait until each and every state um, has got there. I really think there should be an incentive uh, for the people in each and every state to get on, get vaccinated um, and get life back to uh, uh, a more normalised form. We need to learn to live with COVID. Uh, the situation is going to continue to evolve, but uh, vaccinations are such a key part of our way out. And we need to have an incentive out there for people to, uh, uh, to go and get that done. And finally, on vaccination, what is your, your company vaccination policy for staff and potentially, I guess, for customers approaching or entering your stores? Yeah, so, uh, of course, we've got all of our controls in place, um, as you would expect uh, and have done for some time. Uh, we're working uh, to very strongly encourage uh, all of our staff to, uh, uh, to get vaccinated, um, and uh, we've seen a really encouraging response to that. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're not at the point of mandating, uh, of course, if, uh, if government moves down that path, as it has done in certain areas of course, we will uh, all move down that path. But we're working very closely and strongly encouraging our, our people to get vaccinated uh, for the safety of, uh, of themselves, their colleagues, and, and, of course, our customers, as you mentioned. Matt Halliday there, the CEO of Ampol. Now, he was talking about uh, the move to greener fuels there, and we are seeing a big take-up of electric vehicles here in Australia. Uh, more than 8,000 were sold in the first half of this year, and that's more than any other full calendar year. So electric vehicles now make up around 1.6% of all light vehicle sales in Australia. So for more on that, Anna Napoli spoke with the CEO of the Electric Vehicle Council, Bia Jafari. Behad, why have electric car sales risen so rapidly in the last six months? We've seen a few things happen in the last six and 12 months. One is that car sales have doubled, but also so have the number of public charging stations and really importantly, the number of electric vehicle models available to Australian consumers. And of course, customers have different tastes. They want different things out of their cars and with more models available for them to choose from, more people have chosen to buy one. How does Australia's uptake of electric cars compare to other countries? Well, there's the bad news that comes with our good. While we've seen a doubling of electric vehicle sales, some really great policies from state governments in place, we're still an order of magnitude behind markets like California, Canada, the UK, Europe, some of the sort of leading markets. So we've got something like 1.5% of the cars that we've sold this year have been electric ones, whereas in those markets it's closer to 10 to 15% of their cars are electric. So it's still quite a way to go, but the good news is that we're now going in the right direction. We've gone from less than 1% to 1.5% uh, this year, and that's continuing to get faster and faster. And why has there been that lag behind other countries then? What we've seen is right around the developed world, every other country has a national plan in place that says we have to stop the sale of petrol and diesel vehicles over the long term and immediately start moving towards electric ones. So Australia hasn't had one of those plans and that creates a lot of uncertainty for companies. They've said, well, everybody else is planning for this and you're not. So maybe we should go spend our money everywhere else and wait for you guys to get your act together. The big change that we've seen, even just over the last three or four months in Australia is 
a lot more state governments stepping up to the plate and saying, look, this is the federal government's job. They're the ones who are supposed to have this plan, uh, but we're sick of waiting. So we're going to step in and start filling those voids. Uh, it's really great news. It's sort of really great to see. It is a bit more inefficient and less coordinated, not coming at a national level, but it's what we've got and we're able to sort of get some momentum out of it. And what advice would you have for consumers who are considering buying an electric vehicle? I mean, the big thing that we see change for consumers about wanting to buy an electric vehicle is how much they understand about it. So it is a new technology, so there are a few things to learn. We quite often see consumers sort of wonder about, well, do they travel far enough? Do they have enough range you know, for what I need? And if you look at how far you actually travel and how particularly newer electric vehicles have something like four or 500 kilometres in range, you say, yes, that is true. You know, the other big thing is you're quite used to looking at that sticker price. How much does a car cost to buy up front? But the other big piece of information to remember is each year, how much are you paying on for things like fuel and maintenance? because the cost is far lower. It's about a fifth of the cost to run an electric vehicle than it is a petrol or diesel one. So while you might pay a bit more upfront, you're gonna save a lot more money. You'll save something like 12 to $1,500 every year by cheaper operating costs. So there are a lot of ways to make this square. And if it's something that you want to do, it's sort of, it is better for the environment. There are a whole range of really great reasons to do it. It's a great time to take that plunge. Behad Jafari there, the CEO of the Electric Vehicle Council. Now to the Australian share market, which has started the week on the positive foot, up by 0.4% on the S&P ASX 200 to 7,489. That's thanks to a stronger mining and tech sector. For more, I spoke earlier with Matt Sherwood from Perpetual. Matt, can we start with the, the move to green energy? The term ESG seems to be popping up a lot this reporting season. This move to a greener future, how important is it to you, your investors and the markets in general? Well, it's becoming, you know, when I started out in markets uh, 20 years ago, ESG was really something on the fringe, uh, whereas today I believe it's something very, very mainstream, you know, and, and it's, it's really a generic term which is used in capital markets by investors who want to evaluate corporate behaviour um, as one of the inputs for future financial performance, you know, covering issues of environmental, social, um, you know, and of course, governance. So it's becoming increasingly mainstream and they're very important inputs uh, as you evaluate um, how successful a company um, a a is uh, and also how competent its management is because it has been shown that firms with high focus on ESG uh, do produce very good long-run returns for shareholders. So, you know, it's certainly now becoming mainstream um, into investment thinking. We're starting to see prices for Australia's key commodity, namely iron ore, come off quite dramatically. What do you make of it? Well, overall, global economic growth is moderating, um, and it's moderating really due to uh, three key factors. First of all, there is a deliberate um, strategy of Chinese authorities to slow their economy down. Uh, secondly, of course, um, is the Delta wave. Um, and of course, lastly, there is the, um, the blockages in regional supply chain. So, you know, really the key question uh, for investors um, is 
to what extent are those three issues transitory? Um, you know, and we would argue, of course, that uh, China's going to ease policy in coming months, uh, but most of the impact on that's going to be felt in 2022, uh, given the shortage of good projects that they can fast track. Um, and as a result, um, you know, the slowdown in the global economy is likely to continue in the September and December quarters. And of course, that just takes, um, you know, the froth off commodity prices, which is still very, very elevated, you know, relative to the past 20 years, um, you know, but it does, uh, it does signal the global economy is now starting to slow down. Still, with that in mind, we're seeing COVID cases rising, yet the market still, you know, it hasn't come off quite dramatically. It's still doing relatively well. To what extent is the market and investors looking beyond the cases and to a reopening economy? But still, what does it mean for monetary policy? Um, yeah, they're, they're great questions. And so the reason why markets are holding in there at the moment, even though there has um, you know, been a moderation of uh, economic growth, which would flow through to earnings, um, interest rates have also rapidly declined across the world. And you know, 10-year government bonds are really the basis of every asset's price. Um, and of course, there are, you know, they've come off quite significantly since the end of the March quarter. So that's really holding the market together at the moment, you know, in addition to the fact that government support, um, namely budget and fiscal policy, you know, is very, very constructive feel still for the growth environment. So, you know, what that really tells us at the moment is that whilst we still expect growth to remain very strong for the next 12 months, um, probably in the middle of next year or the second half of next year, growth is really going to start to moderate lower. So it's really going to be companies with strong operating models, you know, who, um, you know, have robust profits, good balance sheets. They're the ones which are likely to outperform in a period of less egregious economic growth. Uh, but of course, if the economy is slowing to average, that's still pretty good. You know, it's certainly not a terrible environment. It's just not as good as what we've seen in the last 12 months. Matt Sherwood there from Perpetual. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.